All right, so hey, we're in the home stretch of Christmas season. We're, this is week three of our Christmas series, and uh, this is the last week. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, next Monday, Christmas Day, and then, you know, we got to wait a whole year until it happens again. Uh, I wanted you to think about something, though, real quick. I don't know, some of you probably, well, hey, hold on, let me stop right here. Whether you're watching online or you're here, what, what Jeff says here stays in here, right? I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable and transparent here in a moment, and I just need to know, I need to have your assurance that it's not going to go beyond this room. Are we good? All right, great. I think many of us have that song that we, we it's not Christmas till we hear this song, right? Um, I know my friend Garrett uh, Jones, he's in some kind of bet with a friend of his that when Wham's last Christmas... When they, whoever hears it for the first time has to call the other person or something like that. I know that uh, Brian Asbury and Pastor Peter, their favorite Christmas song is uh, Christmas Shoes. Like that just touches their heart. It's such a uh, profound uh, Christian message. Uh, but it, when I was a kid, uh, of course, it was grandma got run over by a reindeer. That was my... But really for reals, I know it's Christmas... When I hear Cheech and Chong, Santa Claus and his old lady, all right? So if you haven't, if you haven't heard that, uh, that means you're uh, younger than me. If you uh, have heard that, that stays in this room. No one else needs to know that I listen to Cheech and Chong. Come on. <laughs> Some of you are going like, Cheech and Chong? Who the heck is, who's Cheech and Chong? Don't look it up, okay? You don't need to look that up. All right. So... First week of our series, uh, Peter uh, talked a lot about the timing, the, the perfect timing of God in the birth of Jesus. That it happened just as God intended in the place God intended at the time God intended. And, and, and that's important for us to know that it, it was not, uh, Jesus being born in Bethlehem when he was is not God's plan B. This is God's plan. I'm going to touch on this in a little bit. But from, from the beginning of time, it was God's plan. So that was, that was week one. Last week, uh, talked a lot about prophecy uh, and, and, and Jesus being born in humble uh, circumstances. And, and so this week, we're going to kind of continue through the narrative into the shepherd's experience uh, when the angels uh, came and uh, met them. But before we do that, uh, I think there is a struggle uh, that we run into this time of year uh, I'm going to speak for myself at least, a struggle or a tendency that I have that is summarized by this quote. And this quote comes from a gentleman by the name of Trevin Wax. And uh, this is the quote from his book. It says, over-familiarity familiar, over often leads us away from being satisfied by all that is good. Familiarity is the enemy of wonder. It's the enemy of wonder. Someone else has called this the lullaby effect. This idea that we've heard, particularly as it relates to uh, Bible stories, that we've, we've heard the story. We've heard the Christmas story. Like in my case, I mean, in my, in my 61 years, I've probably heard the Christmas story 250 times, 300 times more. I mean, if I read through the Bible, I mean, I've, so the problem is, do I just read the story and say, oh, yeah, I can almost quote this. I watched the Charlie Brown special at Christmas, you know, I, and Linus quotes the whole thing. I mean, I know this story. And so what happens is we think, eh, I know the story. 
I don't even need to really engage. In fact, why do I even need to come to Christmas Eve service? I know that Peter's going to read about Jesus being born in a manger. I'm, I'm familiar with it. And so we fall into this tendency of like maybe missing something bigger uh, because we're so familiar uh, with it. And let me just say, I'm not, I, I'm not scolding us or myself. I'm, I'm saying this is kind of a human tendency that we have, that we just get familiar with something and it loses a little bit of its meaning. And I'll give you a couple of examples just from my own experience. And this happens uh, for me when I return from being on one of our mission trips, whether it's to Mexico, Thailand, Costa Rica, something like that. I'm just reminded how many things in my own day-to-day life I take for granted. For example, this morning I got up, went over to my refrigerator, pushed the cup into the door of the refrigerator, and water came out. Cold water, clean water came out. And I was reminded when we were in Thailand and and when we've uh, taken teams there and there was the village that we were in, people were walking three-quarters of a mile uh, every morning to go get water clean or not, and bring it back for their daily routine. And we were helping them bring water closer to them. And so I was just reminded when I got back, it just reminded me how much I take for granted the fact that I can go to my refrigerator and push in the cup and and clean water comes out. And we also talked, uh, when our team was there, we talked about how even, even our kids get kind of spoiled with, do I have the right game system or the, or, or the most powerful game system or this is what I got to have for Christmas. And so I, I brought, it's not the greatest picture in the world, but uh, I brought a picture of this toy that we took a picture of in Thailand where they had taken an oil can, cut the top out of it and made some wooden wheels for it. And this is what kids were pushing around. This was the toy that they had. And so it was just, when we got back, I was just reminded how... Easy it is that we, we kind of fall into this routine of this is, uh, this is what our reality is and we forget that there's people in other places of the world that are living in, in different situations than us. My friend Harmon Parker uh, in Kenya builds bridges uh, in remote areas of Kenya that provide access for villages to uh, education, to commerce, uh, to some of the, just the necessities of life. And so when I was there and I had a chance to look at these bridges and see how it is providing all the needed things for these, uh, for these villagers that are in such remote areas, areas, I was just reminded how much we take for granted that, hey, to get my kids to school, we just jump in the car and we go. Or if I got to go to the store, I just run down there and the store, some stores are open 24 hours. We just go in and we make it happen. And so like I say, it's not, it's not bad. It's just kind of a warning to us to say, hey, do, when I come to this season and we engage this passage that we're going to engage today, I just want to urge us to, to pause just for a little bit, maybe linger on the words a little bit, maybe contemplate, even maybe ask God, what do you have for me? Not just this morning, but during this next week, to 10 days. God, what do you have for me? So let's start there. Let me pray again for us and we'll jump into this, this passage. God, we are we're reminded how easy it is for us to get into a routine and just miss maybe important things that you have for us. So this morning as we look at this uh, passage, that it wouldn't just be another story, uh, but that you have something for us, something meaningful for us. 
something profound for us uh, this day. So we thank you for your word and just ask it would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to pull it out and open it up. If you have a device, click to it. It will be on the screen, but I'm going to encourage you. I think it will be easier for you to really push into this if you're looking at it uh, on, in front of you while we're reading it. So we're in Luke chapter 2. That's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, second chapter, starting at verse 8. And this is what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to, to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right. So last Sunday, Peter talked a lot about, like, like I mentioned earlier, the, the humility, the humble circumstances in which uh, Jesus was born. Uh, this is absolutely essential for us to understand that, that this is the way God works his kingdom. Uh, Jesus did not come as this reigning king, this top-down uh, authoritative power. He was that. He was God in the flesh, but he came humbly. He came in very meek circumstances to very ordinary uh, parents into a very ordinary circumstance. And I think that's important for us uh, to, to understand. Uh, Pastor Jay Kim uh, says this about Jesus' coming. He says, Christmas is more than a warm comfort. Christmas is a confrontation. In the birth of this vulnerable infant born to unimportant parents, God declares that the hope we're longing for doesn't come by way of coercive power and might of the Caesars, both old and new, but by the way of humility, sacrifice, and love. So how Jesus came is essential. The, the message of why he came is obviously crucial too. But how he came sends a message. And I want us to unpack that a little bit this morning. So this morning we're going to look at these three things. If you're a note taker, good for you. Uh, if you're taking notes, this is it. The shepherds were first. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. The message was powerful. And then we need to respond. The shepherds were first. Message is powerful and we need to respond. So the shepherds were first. Notice in the book of Luke, that, notice that the book of Luke is the only gospel that even mentions the shepherds. It, in, in fact, of the, of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only Matthew and Luke even have the birth story of Jesus. 
and only Luke mentions the shepherds at all. And so we know this about first century shepherds. It was not a glamorous job. It was not highly regarded. Um, In fact, this particular job really excluded them from a lot of the religious practice of of the Jewish Uh, of the Jewish rituals because they were unclean because they were working with animals. And so they were unable to participate, uh, at least as a normal uh, Jewish person would participate. And so they were on the margins of of the community uh, for sure. And so we would have to ask the question, well, why would God choose them to be the first? Because we're being clear all the way through this. God doesn't make any mistakes. God's timing was perfect. The place of Jesus' birth was foretold, so we know Jesus needed to be born there. It would would be short-sighted of us to think, well, the angels just dropped into a particular spot and there happened to be shepherds there. God was intentional about what he's doing there. So why would they be first? And so as we think about that, what is the statement that God is trying to make to us? That the good news went first to lowly and humble people who were out on the margins of society. They were not influential people. They were not people that were at the top of any societal ladder. But yet God sent the message first to them. So so I, I have to believe that there's a message for us in that. Because if it was you and I, we might have chose a different route. We, you know, we would need a social media influencer to be one of the first people to know, who, to know the message of Jesus. That would get the word out more efficiently because we want to think efficiently. That's what we do here in our Western world. We want everything to be efficient. We don't think about, hey, there's maybe a greater message behind who God chose first. So the angel shows up with good news. This Savior's being born. They were chosen to receive this, and it, and it shapes the message of the kingdom from the very beginning. This Savior, this message of good news was meant to include all people. That's at least part of what God's communicating here, that this message is for everyone, regardless of your status, regardless of what you do for work, regardless of what everybody else thinks of you. This message is for you. Certainly the message is for those in power, rich, influential, absolutely. This message is for all people, but God starts with those in humble circumstances. So let's look a little bit at their experience because this is, I I think this, again, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to use our imaginations a little bit here because what these I'm going to say guys, there could have been women that were shepherds as far as we know. In, in all the Christmas pageants I've ever seen, it's always guys. So that must, be, uh, that must be the way it is. But these people that are out in the field, this experience uh, is incredible. So let's put our imaginations on a little bit. So here's what, I, here's what we know from Scripture. It was a night, probably like every other night, probably quiet, probably a fire going, probably stories being told as they're sitting around waiting to go to bed. I don't know if they had marshmallows back in the first century, but if they did, there could have been s'mores happening. But they're, they're just sitting around this fire like they did every night. An angel shows up. And the glory, the scripture says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Their response is that they're terrified. 
So this is not a regular experience uh, for them. This, this past week, I'm not a huge astronomer or whatever, but I, know, I saw on the news that there were some new pictures came back from the Webb Space Telescope of a supernova, an exploding star. It was, it was an incredible picture, just fascinating. And they were saying that this supernova was something like 10 trillion miles across or something like that. And so I'm just blown away by the size of the universe and the God that created all this it comes to this moment in time just outside of Bethlehem and the angels show up and then there's this multitude of heavenly hosts that show up and God's glory is all around them. These uh, shepherds are just floored by this. Now, and then there's a great story, a uh, great message that the angel has for the shepherds. But I want to pause for a moment because this experience reminds me a little bit uh, about a concept, and it's kind, of, it's a kind of an ancient concept called thin spaces. And this idea of thin uh, spaces is that there are places and moments in our experience that we experience God in a very pronounced way, where the, the space between that which is otherworldly and in our world becomes very, very thin. Uh, Dr. Mark Roberts, and I think this will be on the screen, defines a thin space this way. He says, a thin space is a place where the boundary between heaven and earth is especially thin. It's a place where we can sense the divine more readily. Now, I want you to, think, I want you to recognize this is not a biblical term, so you're not going to find the Bible talking about thin spaces. However, I, I believe as we look, especially through the Old Testament, we're going to find places where this, that seem very thin to me, where the space between heaven and earth becomes very close. Obviously, you would probably think of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are with God and in a, in a daily relationship with him, at least initially. But the burning bush uh, encounter that Moses has uh, would be, to me, a very thin space where God is right there. Mount Sinai, Mo Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai into the, into the clouds and, and meets God. During their exodus uh, through the desert, the tabernacle uh, was a place where God's presence resided. And there was also a place called the Tent of Meeting that Moses would go and the Bible says would talk to God as someone talks to their friend face to face. Very thin sounding space. To me, the temple was probably like that. I thought a little bit in the New Testament about Paul's conversion when Paul's on the road to Damascus and he encounters uh, uh, Jesus on the road. That's a spot where uh, heaven's reaching very close uh, to earth. There, you might even have had experiences or places where you have ha had an experience where God seemed abundantly near to you. Uh, Jesus, in, in his own experience, often. It says Jesus withdrew, went up into the mountains, went to a quiet place where he would pray. And so these places do exist. There's some problems with this, and I'm not going to unpack all the problems. I, I'm not, so I don't want I, I to say that this is absolutely a, a thing, but I do think it's clear as we, as we watch the story of Scripture unfold that there are places where God comes particularly close. And when I think about this experience with the shepherds or even just this, this idea that 
that night in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas, that that became a very thin space. We've got Jesus, the God of the universe, coming in human form to the earth to interact with his creation. Seems like a very thin space to me. But when I think about the shepherds in particular, I just wonder, and this is, this is now uh, just uh, me kind of riffing a little bit here, but I, I just wonder if what God did in this moment, the angel comes with the message for the shepherds, and if it's, for lack of a better uh, picture, he just peels back a little bit of, of the veil between heaven and earth, and the shepherds get a glimpse into what's happening, the celebration that's happening in heaven with Jesus coming. That, because we have this multitude of heavenly hosts. The shepherds are, again, they've never seen anything like this. They're glorifying God, the angels are. They're praising God. And it's a life-changing uh, experience for these shepherds. So the shepherds were first, and the message is powerful. The angels do have a message. The angel says, I have a message of good news. The word here is euangelion. This is a Greek word, and it's, typically it's a military term where when there was a battle happening, there would be a messenger that would come back from the battlefield to bring news, the good news of what was happening uh, in, in the battle. And so when, you're, when we have good news, when we have something good to share, it, it's almost bursting out of us. And even this time of year, when we think about giving gifts to other people, especially when we know that's a gift that is going to be, going to be meaningful uh, to people, we, we give them the gift and there's just this anticipation as we're waiting for them to, them to unwrap it. This, this is what this good, good news message should be, how it should be welling up uh, within us. This is what it feels like to share good news. And in Luke's gospel, every time he uses this word evangelize, it's a verbal message. We talk a lot about sharing the gospel with our good deeds and being good people and, and loving people with, with how we, we act. And that certainly is important. But there's no replacement to connecting that with the message, the message of the good news of the gospel. And so this is a word that we need to share. There's a verbal component uh, to what we share. Why is this message good news? It's the story of God's gift of grace and mercy to us. It's the story, it's the message of a long-awaited Messiah that is, is finally here. It means forgiveness of our sin. It's our, our salvation. There's a Savior. Our Savior is born. It's a life-changing and life-transforming message. It brings hope for the future. And the angel says, this is a message for all people. This is good news. It's not something that we come to understand and know and just keep to ourselves. And thankfully, the shepherds realize that. The shepherds are given a divine invitation to join God in what he's doing. So the message the angel says will bring joy. And that's part of what should characterize what this season is about for us. As we move through this week, there should be joy. We should take a cue from the kids in our life. Uh, there are kids that are in kind of a perpetual state of joy. Like, I mean, I have grandkids now, but I mean, 
I, re I remember like they would get excited when the ice cream truck would come by or you put chicken nuggets on a plate and they get excited about that. I mean, there's just this, it doesn't take much for us to really understand the joy that children have. And when you start talking about Christmas with kids, it becomes even more evident. We need to, get, we need to grasp that kind of joy. If you want to get another example of that, those of you that have dogs know that even if you're gone for 10 minutes and you come back, that dog is joyful. It's like he hasn't seen you for months, right? This, this, is, this is what we want. This is, this is how we should be feeling. We don't have to wait 12 months for Christmas to come around. This should be what characterizes our life. It's a good news message. It's a joyful message. And it's for all people. Uh, listen, Luke we, we need to understand, Luke, when he was writing this, uh, was not one of the 12 disciples, right? Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, he says, hey, I have researched this. I have researched who Jesus is, his claims, the claims that he is the son of God. I have, I have done my best to detail what his life is about so that you would know who Jesus is. Matthew was one of the disciples. Luke uh, was, was doing the research and figuring it out. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew's message was, hey, the Messiah that we've been waiting for is here. Luke is saying this message is for all people, Jew or Gentile. This, this guy is going to change your life. This message is going to change your life. And so when Luke is writing, he's keeping in mind that he knows that his message, the gospel he's writing is going well beyond a Jewish audience to people all over the world, to people in 2023 as well. So the, the shepherds were first. The message is powerful. And then we need to respond. There's a response. Guess what? God is still doing what he was doing in the first century. The invasion into to our world is still happening. God's people have a good news message that continues to be relevant to what's happening around us. What we celebrate at Christmas, hear this now, what we celebrate at Christmas is not a theory. It's not a neat tradition. It's not a clever story. This is an absolute theological reality. This is, this is a life-changing invasion of God into our world. And we need to recognize that as we walk through uh, this week. This is the wonder. This is the, the, the wonder of Christmas that we can miss if we're not engaging our minds and really focusing on that. So we can't get lost in the traditions and, and our tendency to get so busy in other things. We need to pause. We need to just take a moment, maybe each day, just to reflect on what it is that we're celebrating. This is good news. This is a restored relationship with God. This is the salvation that is changing our lives. Those of you that know and have a relationship with God, this is the person that is making that possible. So I want us to look at the story a little bit closer at the three responses that we see. There's, there's three groups of people here that we want to look at as we're wrapping this up. The first response is from the angels and the heavenly host. What did they do? They celebrated and they worshipped. 
it's, it's really as if they were watching. They've been waiting in heaven. God's plan's been in motion as the Old Testament has unfolded and these angels are, are watching this. And boom, now it's happening in Bethlehem. And there's a celebration because the plan that God's had in place from the beginning of time is continuing to unfold. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says that very thing. In talking about us, Paul says uh, that we were uh, found in him before the, before the creation of the world. We were chosen to be found in, in Jesus before the creation of the world. This is something that's been in the works since the world was created. And the angels are celebrating, worshiping. And we are on the other side of this event. We've got the opportunity to do the same. So the angels celebrated in worship. The shepherds, they spread the word. They've been given this invitation uh, by God to join him. This message that the angels brought, the shepherds hear it, and their first response is, let's go and see what the angels have been talking about. So they go, they confirm. It's just as the angels said. And then from there, they go and tell anyone that will listen. And the, and the scripture says that the people that hear the shepherd's message are amazed by the message of the shepherd, shepherds. They're amazed. So I, I, as I was thinking about this, I, I think there's two things at play here. One is they're amazed by the content of the message that a Savior has, has been born, this long-awaited Messiah, he's Christ the Lord. They're amazed by the message but I wonder also if they might be amazed by the transformation they're seeing in the lives of the shepherds. So when we reflect on that and you think about your particular role, and you might want to say, hey, how, how could God ever use me? I'm just a, and then fill in the blank. The reality is your transformed life is going to speak volumes to people around you. It's, it's, it's not that you have to be the most articulate, the most respected, the most influential person in the world. If, if God's at work in your life and your life's being changed, it's going to amaze people around you. So they were amazed by the message and they were amazed by the changed life uh, in the shepherds. And it says that they returned glorifying and praising God for what they had seen. Again, this opportunity continues for us. We can celebrate with the angels. We can spread the word like the shepherds. The final response we see is from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it says this, that Mary treasured these things and pondered them. Literally, this means she remembered them and considered them carefully. So we need to do the same thing. I would encourage you uh, during this next week that you would take some moments just to, just to carefully consider what's happening in the Christmas story. And as you do that, you would recognize that God chose the least expected people to get the message out. And if he could use the shepherds, he could use you. And that you might also reflect on the message this morning and recognize that the gospel, the good news is that all people Regardless of your situation, all people can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And for you, that could start today. You're coming into a Christmas season and maybe you're struggling with 
faith in general, it it can start today. So let me pray for that right now. Let's pray. God, we are... We're amazed at the, at the good news of what happened that night in Bethlehem. And as we reflect on that, God, we want to be people that celebrate and rejoice and that we, that we can't allow it to get lost in, in the routines and the, the traditions that are around us. So help us to be people that are celebrating well what this season means. But God, this morning, man, my... My heart is all for people that may be struggling with just needing to know you uh, in their life. And if that's you this morning, you can uh, recognize the reality of who Jesus is and come into that relationship with him. And the prayer sounds something like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I need this Savior, Jesus. This baby that was born, that grew up, gave his life so that we could have a relationship with God. I admit that I need the Savior in my life. And that I, secondly, God, be that I believe in Jesus as that Savior. And then finally, that I would choose to follow him, not just today, but with the rest of my life. And God, for the rest of us, we just, we need to move through the remainder of these days experiencing the wonder of what Christmas is about. That we wouldn't be lulled to sleep and missing anything that you have for us, whether it's interactions with people, with family, with coworkers, whatever it would be, God, would you just make us aware of what you're doing around us these next few days. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.